I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. All right, today I want to welcome Candice Rodarte. Candice is a digital marketing pioneer, podcast host, and accountability coach. She launched a trailblazing custom furniture e-commerce website in 1999. Wow, that goes back far. Uh, a YouTube talk show in 2012 and her long-running podcast in 2014. The thing that stands out to me, this was all at the beginning of uh, things. So not a follower, definitely a leader, but there's more. Living with metastatic breast cancer is her why. It drives Candace to get things done, inspires her to encourage others to do the same. Life is too short to waste. Candace, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, and just so everybody knows, I was on your podcast. Now you're coming on mine. It's such a delight to have you here. And something I obviously didn't learn when I was on your podcast, apparently you learned three lessons from a Nazi soldier. Well, yeah, that doesn't come up very often when I'm interviewing somebody else. <laughs> it is a lifelong lesson though. It happened when I was 19, possibly 20, 20, 19, 20 ish. I drove a sporty Volkswagen rabbit convertible. I had saved my money to buy this cute little sports car. It was my fir first car that I purchased myself and it was 10 years old when I purchased it. So, you know, it was a 1980 Volkswagen Rabbit convertible. So it was 1990 because it was 10 years old when I bought it. And I subsequently got this job working for the North Face up in uh, Berkeley, California. And I had lived in this little tiny town called Castroville, California. So it was a 90 minute drive to go home to see my parents, which is where they still lived. So I quickly learned that a 20 year old woman in the Bay Area has a slim to none chance in the year 1990 of getting decent auto mechanic service in the year 1990, right? Things, I'm sure things have changed since then. But after being, pardon the pun, pardon the, the, the expression, screwed over multiple times by different mechanics in the Bay Area, I went back home to Hans, my mechanic, that I, that I had been working on my car up until the time that I had moved away to um, the Bay Area. So Hans was... In his late 60s, gray-haired man, heavy set, very tall, very charming, the most wonderful man in the world. Everybody was his friend. He he was he offered fair prices and he went always went above and beyond. So one of the things that stood out about him is here I am, this 20-year-old kid, right? 20, 20, 21-year-old kid at that point. And he treated me with the utmost respect. He always took the time to have a conversation with me and to, to catch up with me and find out what was going on in my life. And he was genuinely interested in what I had to say. And this one time, you know, 10 year old cars, things start to fall off. This one yep. time the handle, 
Remember when you had to use a crank to roll down your window? There's right? people that have no idea what a Volkswagen <laughs> Rabbit is. I know. And it was a convertible too. So it was very rare. Um, I, I always like to do things that are a little bit different than other people. <laughs> so um, the crank on the window on the driver's side fell off. And so there was no way for me to roll the window up and down. And I picked up my car and he had replaced the crank. Right. And um, he just always did things that were just, he just went above and beyond. You know, like your car was always cleaner when you picked it up than it was when you dropped it off. And he just was this incredible person. So one day we are standing outside. He's done with my car. I've paid him. He's handed over the keys. And we're having one of those famous Hans conversations where he's catching up on where I am in my life. And he's leaning against the hood of my car. And I've got my hand on the, on the, the, the uh, the car as well and we're having a conversation i mean i can still see it so clearly in my head and he tells me about how he had been a nazi soldier and his whole body slumps he just mm. leans forward he looks down at the ground and with shame written all over his body he says i loved that son of a bitch he was so ashamed of how much he had admired and believed in this fascist who had nearly destroyed the planet, right? Mm -hmm. Who had killed millions of people. He, he was so ashamed. But here he is all those years later, you know, uh, 40 years later, standing there with a 20-year-old Asian-American in a town in central California that is agricultural in nature. He is probably one of the only white guys who actually lives in that town, and he is kind, he is generous, and he cares deeply about the people around him. Pillar of his community. Right. So I learned three lessons from Hans that day that I have carried with me forever. And I, as many people as I can tell the story to, I tell. So thank you for letting me share it with your audience. So the first lesson is, dude, just be kind, right? Be nice. Be nice. The second lesson was to go above and beyond. And so at the time, I was an inside sales rep for the North Face, and I took the be kind and go above and beyond lesson, and I and I inserted it into my career at the North Face, and I became the number one producer uh, in, uh, for inside sales in that company. I mean, I was, I was pushing out millions of dollars of inventory every week, right? Because I learned from Hans how to be kind and how to go above and beyond. And the third lesson is a lesson that it's hard to hear, but sometimes you've got to be careful about who you place your belief in. And so he gave me a little bit of skepticism to go along with the kindness there. It was, thank you. I, I, every time, even, even though it's been um, 30 years or so since I learned that lesson, it still chokes me up a little bit to think about him and the huge difference that he made in my life. It's a, it's a powerful lesson and it's, you know, it's, I think part of that lesson is we are all imperfect people and imperfect people that have made bad choices still have powerful things that they can share with others, you know, through the brokenness mm -hmm. and, you know, and here it's touched you, you know, 30 years later. I, it, I think the big part there is that he healed past the the grave era error right i mean it, it, that could have broken him yeah and he, he it turned him into a better person 
Well, that's great. And you and you know, I I'm I'm not sure it's easier for women to take their cars to uh repair <laughs> shops anymore. I you know, when I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, I had my wife drop a car off at Firestone where I usually got my car worked on and she called me up and said, Hey, they want to do this and this, and they're charging this. And I'm like, that seems high. And so I call, um, I call the uh, Firestone and I said, okay, tell me what needs to happen on this car. And they're like, well, this needs to happen. And then we have to do this other thing. And I said, well, wait a minute for you to do. It. And one was, you know, they were charging me to replace a belt. They were basically removing two things in the same part of the engine. And I said, you're charging me double labor for the same thing. Uh, well, yeah. And I said, now I'm smart enough to know that. So you're not doing that to me, but I sent my wife into your store. And what you're telling me is I can't trust you with my wife. Mm-hmm. And I never went back to them again. Mm-hmm. But this is back, you know, here you have this wonderful story about a mechanic that treated you right. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were talking, I was like, maybe that's the business I need to go in. It's so easy to outperform so many people. Mm-hmm. Just go in and be an honest mechanic that doesn't take advantage of people. Yeah. Like my favorite place to get my oil changed back when I lived in Texas was a Valvoline that was owned by a woman. And she was there every day doing the the work. And it, the reason why I like going there, it wasn't just because she was owned by a woman. It was because it was fa- you just felt like you were being treated fairly. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you when you when you find the right one, you stick with them. Yeah. Wow. That's a lesson that goes beyond mechanics. <laughs> it does. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Now, you and your husband had a business called Shane Rodarte furniture maker and and this was this was the online business that you started in 99 99 yeah it's great this is a crazy story so my husband and i got married in april of 1998 and we launched the business in june of 1998 about a week after we found out we were pregnant oh wow (laughs) so my husband and i have never been anything but business partners and parents with the exception of two months we had we had two months of being newlyweds and then we went straight into being business partners slash parents um but yeah we we uh, met on the internet so it was really you know we were like why don't we just try doing the you know this is a new thing let's try and see if what happens when we if we put the business on the internet and um at that time most folks were only using america online to log in like America online, like you've got mail. That was the only way you could get online. And we were like, mm, America online is just part of the internet. It's part of the, I think we called it the World Wide web back then. It's just part of the World Wide web. You know, I, I, I really think we should not do our website on America online. I think we should actually do it on the actual World Wide web. We should find a, you know, a hosting service off of the, the AOL platform. And so we built a website. And the first one was a disaster because we didn't use the right host. So then we had to start from scratch. So about 1999, we launched what became Shane Rodarty Furniture Maker. And uh, within a few weeks, we got our first order. And by by 2004, 
we had um we decided to do wholesale because i because of my experience with the north face i i knew wholesale inside and out and i didn't know retail as well so we decided to do wholesale so we found 40 dealers in 25 states to carry our furniture by 2004 and by 2000 when 2008 hit uh it became very evident by the end of 2008 that we could not sell wholesale anymore and sustain our six employees and and all that um, so we pivoted and we stopped selling wholesale. We actually tripled our prices and we changed the way that we marketed. And because we did that, we survived until 2017 when we were just like, we're done. It's time to retire. So we retired in 2017. That's wow. the short version of a very long story. Now, when you say you tripled your prices, there's some people that are listening that think you went from Ikea prices to three times Ikea prices. Mm, not really, but okay. <laughs> yeah. So what, yeah, I mean, help people understand the type of furniture that you were, you were making. So to be honest, to be perfectly honest, wholesale pricing is for furniture is about um, 60% less than you're paying for it at retail. So if you go into a furniture store and you pay a thousand dollars for something, the store paid 400 for it. Okay. Okay. But so I ha like I have a dining table that I paid. It's a semi-custom dining table. Paid twenty eight hundred dollars for it. Is is that where you were pricing, or you were you you were direct to that? You purchased it from a a, ma a maker that was direct to co consumer, correct? Yeah. So there wasn't a wholesale aspect to it. We had priced so that we could mass produce with six employees and push out product three to four orders per week on pallets to, to furniture stores, to, you know, gift shops around the country. So we were priced at wholesale level, right? Okay. For with pushing out lots of inventory every week. Wow. Okay. Different beast. Yeah. When By tripling our prices, it also meant that we slowed down production and we improved quality and we, when we didn't just charge three times for the same product, although they looked the same, we were taking our time a little bit better because the end, the person that we were shipping it to was the actual person that was going to be sleeping on it. So different animal, different animal, but a $2,800 custom table, you got a really good deal on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. What, yeah, my wife, when two years ago, when I was in the hospital and my wife was thinking I was a goner, she's like, I'm definitely keeping that table in the family. And, um, which it, it, she should, it's, you know, it's an heirloom piece. That's the beauty of custom pieces, even semi-custom. I mean, that's what we produ produced as well as semi-custom pieces. You know, here's your, your menu to choose from, and here are the add-ons that you can add to it. Uh, you know, but semi-custom could mean anything. I mean, we we did all sorts of things to change the look. So we never made the same bid twice. But um, when it's a custom piece that you have designed yourself and it's a classic enough design, 300 years from now, Antique Roadshow is going to still be around because humans like stuff like that. And someone's going to look at this piece and say, oh, and they're going to tell the story about how it was their great, 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 great grandfather's who survived the pandemic of 2020, you know, and the, the story, the whole story that goes on with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you changed from doing wholesale to uh, cost or, you know, to direct, direct to consumer, yeah. direct to consumer. 
Why'd you make that change? Because the wholesale wasn't going to sustain itself in that economy. It just, you know, the stores weren't getting the foot traffic at all. And so they weren't ordering. And we had these six employees. We couldn't keep them all. We ended up having to let some of them go. But mm. um, you, we couldn't keep them busy if we weren't getting the orders from the stores. So um, the smart thing to do so that we could keep the dollars in our, you know, the the, in, the income coming in was to say, okay, well, who would who is actually still buying? And it was the folks that could afford, you know, the custom pieces. And so we, by pivoting, I meant that we laid out a custom, you know, with the wholesale stores, we gave them limited options. We expanded on that for the custom options. And, and we just said, okay, now where are they hanging out? And we went to where they were hanging out. Something also very lucky happened for us. And I'm going to say lucky, but it's luck is you, you make your own luck. Uh, in 20, in 2009 ish, El Decor did a spread on um, a couple of fashion designers named Badgley and Mishka. And they had one of our beds at, in their Kentucky farm. And so after that El Decor spread came out, that bed became our number one bestseller. So we sold that bed from that magazine spread for the next nine years. Wow. Consistently, wow. time and time again. And usually in the same color. Yeah. And just, you know, removing confusion, all this happened. The thing that caused the change, it was the middle of the great recession. Mm -hmm. The economy changed. You mm -hmm. needed to take the skills that you had and redirect them for what the economy was doing then. Mm -hmm. So we had to do what needed to be done to attract somebody like Mark Badgley to find our website and say, oh, I like that bed. Let me order it for my, for my horse ranch, right? My Kentucky ranch. Because, and and then, all, I mean, all the pieces had to line up. So I, it wasn't just luck that El Decor featured this bed on their website and in their magazine on the front page of the, of an article, right? It wasn't that. That that wasn't that wasn't the catalyst. The catalyst was we need to attract people like Mark Badgley, right? That's who we need to attract. So we did the work to attract Mark Badgley so that he would purchase the bed. Yeah. And that's that's so critical. I mean, I hear success story after success story of somebody saying, "Where do my ideal customers hang out? Where do my who do my ideal customers admire? Mm -hmm. Let me figure out how to reach them." Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, there's some people that are really struggling right now. I mean, I, some yeah. You know, I guess officially we're not in recession, or there's some debate about that. But there I are think it's in the eye of the beholder right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think there's agreement that it's right now things have changed. It used to be a lot easier to sell than it is now. Mm, that's true. So what advice would you give to business owners as, as they're facing this current economy? It really is about where are your customers hanging out? That is so true. And uh, I recently had an epiphany that my coaching clients are hanging out on Facebook, even though I wanted to be on LinkedIn, <laughs> right? Yeah, I wanted to be on LinkedIn, but my clients were on Facebook. So I had to pivot to Facebook and then I had to figure out Facebook all over again because it had been a few years since I had interacted on Facebook. Then, then I get this little 
email or a little uh, message from Facebook that says I'm a rising creator. And I got it two weeks in a row. And I'm like, what does that mean? What, what, do, what do you mean I'm a rising creator? It just means that I figured out Facebook, right? So I figured out Facebook. And um, as soon as I pivoted, I kept picked up like three clients. As wow. soon as I pivoted to Facebook, it's like, oh, I guess I should have been paying more attention here. So know where your clients hang out, right? Um, and a lot of people are going to tell you, well, LinkedIn is where the people hang out that have, you know, the the hundred $150,000 a year is the average income of a LinkedIn user and $35,000 a year. And this isn't, these numbers are made up. $35,000 a year is the average income of a Facebook user. So, you know, of course people want to hang out on LinkedIn, but if that's not where the people who are actually going to buy from you are hanging out, then you need to hang out where they're hanging out. And with um, back in the day in 2009, 2008, uh, it was Google, right? We were really on purpose about SEO. Um, if we if we paid for for advertising, we were super super narrow with the niche that we targeted with our pay per click ads. I mean, we we were just really really targeted and did a lot of research in keywords. And keywords are still a thing now, but it's more like hashtags, I think. I'm there. You, st you still need to be in the top 10 on Google. Don't give up on Google. You still need to be in the top 10, but you, don't forget about social media. You know, um, I've been reading Google rolled out a new uh, algorithm update called the helpful content. And there's oh, yeah. people lost like 80% of their traffic overnight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And John Mueller from Google is responding to a lot of these people on Twitter and and the message is basically, what made you think AI written content was unique and original? Yeah. You know, there was this big move. Everybody's like, oh, AI is going to be our blog writer. Mm -hmm. And they started churning out all these, these blogs. And, um, and in fairness, I was at a conference a year ago when Google said, well, yeah, we're not going to penalize people for AI generated content. And people heard that and they just went off like mad, but they missed the bigger picture of Google said for decades, we want to rank original and creative you know, content that, that is impactful and meaningful. Yeah. And guess what? When AI is copying everything on the internet, it's hard to do that. Yeah. So be unique. Take advantage of long tail keywords. It's a thing. A long tail keyword has more than three words. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and just be really targeted. I had this goal at the beginning of the year that I was going to write 365 blog posts because I'd never done it. And so I thought, this is a great goal. And then I realized how unrealistic that was. So I said, okay, I'll just do five posts a week. Monday, I'll, I'll blog five blog five days a week, you know, Monday through Friday. And then I realized, oh my gosh, that is not sustainable. But here's the thing with Google, right? Because you're, you're writing blog posts for Google. Google wants fresh content. I have three blog posts on my 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 blog uh, started, I started in 20, 2011 ish, I think 2012, maybe. And uh, I have three articles from the 10 plus years that I've been blogging. All of them are really old and all three of them are about breast cancer. And my blog is about relationship marketing. Wow. <laughs> so Google's going to do what Google's going to do. Yeah. And I just have to be strategic about making sure those three articles that Google loves are up to date and fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, let me ask you this. You know, so obviously, you know, going through 08 and 09, you had to pivot, a lot of challenges. 
uh, you, you've built and you know, retired from a business. Now you're building something else. Has there been a moment, you know, is there one moment that really stands out, kind of a white knuckled moment where you feel like your leadership was put to the test? You, ha- you had to do something. It was scary. You weren't sure how it was going to work out. What happened and how did it work out? I'm going to try to tell a story without it being catty because it could be catty. Um, but we found out this was when we were still selling wholesale. We found out that our number one client didn't like me. Like they loved the furniture and they loved my husband, but they didn't like me. And um, I was the interface, right? I'm the person that they, and I, you know, I get no, but I don't, I'm not saying everybody has to love me because that's ridiculous, right? I have a very unique personality, right? <laughs> you know? But it was it was uh, difficult because they were our number one client, but they were also our number one time suck. And we had a discount for them. I mean, we we they 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 just were not worth. They weren't worth the income that we received for them, even though they were our, the highest income. It wasn't worth the amount of time and effort that we put into it for somebody who didn't like me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my husband made the decision. He called, he called the store and said, we're not going to build for you anymore. And so our income, our gross income went down significantly, like by 35%. They were that big of a client, but our net income increased. <laughs> wow. So the white knuckle moment, okay, are we going to be able to survive firing this customer was like, we were so glad we did it because we were making more money because we didn't have to deal with the BS of having to make that customer happy. Right. And she went on though, that store went on to get, um, you know, to buy furniture from other places and it was all great, great for her. And it was great for us. Right. Well, and I think that's so powerful is I know when we, when we've had bad clients, when I look at the amount of time, mm-hmm. that's good non-productive time, time that's not benefiting me, time that's not benefiting them. It, it's just enormous. Yeah. And and that's and what being able to take that time and apply it to people that you work best with, mm-hmm. people that like you, people that you like, people that you can genuinely help. Everybody benefits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you you know the the amount of time that we were spending on that one client could then get spread out to the 39 other clients that we had all over the country, Yeah, you know, that we could just be, you know, just have just a little bit, spend a little longer on the phone with them, get to know them just a little bit better. Wow. That was back in the day when people actually called to place their orders. Do you remember that, Craig? Do you remember people calling to place an order? I, I'm still sort of <laughs> stuck there, but the, <laughs> yeah, I like doing business with people. Yeah. So... You got to get really good at now these days. You got to get really good at being genuine and and uh, yourself in a text message or a an Instagram or a DM, a Facebook DM or an Instagram DM because that's where the future is. But yeah, if you can get on Zoom, I don't like talking on the phone, but I want to if if somebody wants to talk to me and we're ta- texting back and forth on you know DMing each other back and forth, I'm like, can we video? This would be a lot easier if we just hopped on video. And now, I mean, you can just hop on video on on Facebook Messenger and three seconds. So it makes that, that conversing a lot easier and more personable. And you, if you're on video, you're, you can see each other's faces and read expressions and body language. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot nicer. 
use that video chat feature. If if you're at the point where you're DMing and texting, use video chat. It's really yeah. good. That's a great tip right there. That is a great tip. Well, Candace, this has just been a delightful conversation. Um, host of the Gratitude Geek, you should listen to the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, how, do, how do folks reach you? Uh, go to gratitudegeek.com. Everything you need to reach me is there. All it's, right. Yeah. And I'm coming up on 10 years, Craig, 10 years. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, was, how, wait, what's, how many episodes do you have out? Uh, I just released 188. I did take a little break in between yeah. for breast cancer. Um, I just released 188, but I've got some really good stuff coming up down the pike. And I, I've interviewed the director of the Vatican Observatory, and wow. I've interviewed the founder of Business Network International, BNI. So um, I've got some, and I've interviewed Craig Andrews. So yeah, there's some really good content on that on that podcast, Gratitude Geek. All right. Well, definitely tune into the Gratitude Geek. Candace, thank you for being here today. Thank you. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.